It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, finally, hallelujah, I finally have some good COVID news to report. All of you know about, we'll get into the nuances and the details. Kind of a discordant note is that Bill Maher had to scrap his uh, taping of his HBO show uh, that was to be today because he tested positive for COVID-19. Now, Maher um, had been vaccinated. So this is a little bit surprising. Obviously, HBO deciding out of an abundance of caution to cancel it to protect uh, anybody else on the staff from getting it. Uh, Statement to deadline from the show. Uh, He's fully vaccinated as a result, is asymptomatic and feels fine. But real-time production has taken every precaution. The show will be rescheduled at a later date. You know, I know how frustrating it is when you have a lot of guests lined up. Um, and Mar took to Twitter and he said that, you know, he didn't care that much, except he was upset about ending his streak going back to 1993 of never having missed an episode of first politically incorrect or real time. And then he said, oh, well, even Cal Ripken had to sit one out at some point. I have a lot of sympathy for that because I've got my own streak going. I'm trying never uh, to miss a show. And I think Mar has a good attitude. Now, we shouldn't read from this that even if you're vaccinated, this is terrible. You can still get COVID. For one thing, getting it without having the symptoms is a hell of a lot better than the alternative. Secondly, and I saw uh, Anthony Fauci talking about this on television today, the number of people who are vaccinated uh, who actually then nevertheless get a, a, an asymptomatic version of the virus is incredibly low. Uh, I'm searching for the right word there. Is, is just a, a, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the people who are vaccinated. So it's not a reason to have any hesitation about getting the vaccine whatsoever. Um, this is Friday, so we're planning media buzz, making a lot of last-minute changes for the show. Hope you'll tune in Sunday morning, 11 Eastern. Um, you know, I talked about inflation the other day. Those figures came out. I meant to talk about this. 4.2%, which doesn't sound sky high, but it's certainly higher than it has been. It means that if you get a 4.2% raise and prices are going up 4.2%, uh, that that raise that you got is wiped out. Uh, If it goes higher, I think it's going to have an impact on the economy. Hopefully it won't. So let's talk about what the CDC finally did, what President Biden finally did. And first, just as an aside, I I was kind of, let's just say, a little bit surprised that President Biden, even though the news had kind of leaked out, didn't come on television as the first person, the, the, the face of the White House, to deliver this good news to the American people about masks and about the new guidance, especially if you're vaccinated. You know, the usual public relation playbook is when you have bad news to announce, you, you, you kick it off to some cabinet member and you issue, the White House issues a statement in your name or something. When you have good news to announce, you want the president of the United States to break it. And instead, they had the typical COVID-19 briefing with Rochelle Walensky and Anthony Fauci. And they came out and said, hey, folks, uh, this is really good. Here are all the things you no longer have to do if you're vaccinated. And then later in the day, President Biden came out and it took a little bit of a victory lap. But I mean, if I'm the White House communications director, I'm like, uh-uh, you know, you could, you know, another alternative. I think this is kind of a reaction to Trump who dominated all those COVID-19 briefings. And ultimately that was thought to be hurting him and he stopped doing them. But Biden could have come out on a stage with Fauci, 
with Walensky. He speaks first, and he says, okay, now I'm going to turn over to the scientists for more detail. You know, I, I understand the message that he is trying to send is that we follow the science. But on this point, a couple of thoughts of my own, and that is, this is way, way overdue uh, by the CDC. The CDC was stuck with the old ultra-cautious guidance, even, and it was really affecting the message more and more and more, you know, go out and get your shot. America's depending on this. It's the patriotic thing to do. But even if you get vaccinated, you still can't do very much. You still got to wear your mask outside and all of that. And I think there started to be a significant change in the media attitude and the media pressure that undoubtedly played a role in this reversal. It is a reversal because uh, as recently as a few weeks ago, uh, Rochelle Walensky, the CDC chief, was saying she had a feeling of impending doom. As recently as the last week or two, uh, administration officials and CDC advisors were still having to defend in increasingly convoluted ways the notion that somebody who has been fully vaccinated and waited the 14 days after getting the two shots, if it's Pfizer or Moderna, was still being asked to wear a mask just to take a walk outside or go to, to a park. I'm not talking here about going into stores or a ball game or a concert or really crowded places. It became increasingly out of step with what the administration was trying to sell, which is get vaccinated and you'll have a change in your life that will really help you. And that's an incentive. And I think that's really the reason why they did this. Maybe not the only reason. Fauci says, oh, it's just a side benefit. But, you know, and everyone knows the vaccination rate had stalled. It had declined. Now it's just kind of stalled. And if we're trying to get that extra 15 or 20 percent of Americans to get the shots, you've got to offer them some incentive. So even the morning of yesterday, um, a top COVID advisor to the White House was on CNN. Well, why does President Biden wear a mask when he's outside? Well, he's a very important person. Uh, this guy said, and it's just, you know, it's just completely at odds. And I think more and more when you saw, you know, people like Fauci and people like Walensky and uh, even White House officials interviewed more and more, the anchors and the reporters were pressing them, well, why don't you change the guidance? Isn't this at odds with your own findings? I think the New York Times piece uh, that I talked about a few days ago, saying that, the, that there hasn't even been a recorded case of somebody just walking around outside and getting COVID-19. The idea that if you just walk past somebody who might have it, that's enough exposure to get it. I mean, that was pretty much debunked. And yet the CDC was saying up to a 10% chance. And actually, according to the Times, it's either a 1% chance or maybe even a 0.1% chance. So that's what I think was behind this overdue adjustment of the guidance from CDC. Uh, New York Times, new federal guidance issued yesterday, clearing the way for Americans who are fully vaccinated to drop mask wearing in most situations. That is good. But the guidance came with caveats and confusion and instead state and local officials, as well as private companies, scrambling to decide whether and when to update their own rules. And here's the thing. Let's say you're a private company. Let's say you want all your employees to be vaccinated. Do you require it? You, I guess, can do that. But if you, what if you're a store, you're a restaurant, you can now open up. But you have no way of knowing when people walk in, are they vaccinated? Are they not vaccinated? Uh, what if you only want vaccinated people to come in? I mean, ultimately, this leads us back to the dreaded phrase vaccine pa passport. Now, I'm not saying the government should issue that, but, you know, everybody's going to want, let's say you're, you know, the, the guidance wasn't lifted for 
airlines, for trains, buses, any kind of public transportation. So now that means even if you are vaccinated, you've got to wear a mask. I don't have any great problem with that. But what if uh, the airlines wanted to say, you got to be vaccinated to fly on our planes? Then they would want some proof. Um, you have to show up with your little card. Um, this is why I've seen a number of states and cities and counties, including in my area here in Washington, say, well, we want to review this. Well, not so fast because it's a really big change that suddenly seemed to come out of the blue. As I say, it should have happened much earlier. We have all longed for this moment, Rochelle Walensky said uh, when she did her presentation at the White House. If you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things that you had stopped doing because of the pandemic. Except, as we all know, a lot of people who are fully vaccinated had not stopped doing them or had resumed doing them because they thought it was ridiculous. They weren't following the CDC guidance because the CDC guidance, particularly on outdoor stuff, made no sense. And this was a, a really an overdue change. Um, now, even the Times noted that a large majority of the epidemiologists surveyed in the last two weeks by the paper said that until many more Americans are vaccinated, there would be too many chances for vaccines, which are not 100% effective, to fail. Well, maybe it's their job to be more cautious, but the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, is no longer saying that. Uh, state and local officials and businesses caught by surprise, a host of difficult questions about how the guidelines would be carried out. Some states lifted their mask mandates immediately. Others had already done that, while others took a more cautious approach. Most of the state officials who responded immediately were Democrats. They used the moment to stress the need to get vaccinated to take advantage of this greater freedom. Half the country's governors, most of them Republicans, had already lifted mask mandates, and that was controversial, but it should no longer be controversial at all. Just yesterday, the governors of New York, New Jersey, North Carolina, Virginia, the mayors of New York City, and here in Washington, all Democrats, said they were taking the new guidance under advisement. L.A. County also said, and the state of California also said, reviewing the new guidelines. So this is not like everybody can just start doing this tomorrow. It is guidance. The CDC cannot mandate things, these things to state and, lo and local officials. However, Connecticut, Illinois, Kentucky, Minnesota, Nevada, Oregon, Pennsylvania, um, seven states that are led by Democrats all lifted their mask mandates yesterday. Now, also interesting are the efforts now to get the remaining people, the people who are reluctant or just don't want to um, get vaccinated, to go ahead and get their shots. So in Ohio, Republican Governor Mike Wine said the state is going to give five vaccinated people every week $1 million as part of a weekly lottery program. Now, that's an innovative way of doing it. Uh, in other places, you've got... Um, Private companies, restaurants, entertainment venues looking for ways to make those who are vaccinated feel like VIPs, both to protect their workers and their guests and, probably, and possibly to entice people who haven't yet gotten the shot. And remember now, kids 12 to 15 can get it too. Uh, so we may become kind of a bifurcated country between those who can you know, go to sporting events, take classes, get their hair cut, eat barbecue, uh, and those who are left behind that curtain. And look, I think the more and more you see uh, more privileges, if you want to call it that, more freedom, maybe a better word, accorded to those uh, who are fully vaccinated, 
that's got to be an incentive for those who have, have been left behind. And also, you know, if you see that more of those people, as time goes on and we see those, those people not getting sick, not getting any serious side effects, well, I think that would be a really good incentive. Uh, a vaccine requirement to attend school or participate in the military, not a novel concept. I mean, how many of us grew up? You said you couldn't show up for school unless you had a doctor's note showing you had your measles vaccine, your chickenpox vaccine, and all of that. Why should COVID-19 be that much different? But the military, for example, has been strongly encouraging vaccines among the troops, but acceptance has been low. For example, in the Marines, only 40% have gotten one or more shots. At Fort Bragg, one of the largest military bases in the country, just under 70% have been jabbed. So things are changing. Here's a piece in The Atlantic. The impact of the announcement will vary greatly across the country. For the millions of people who have long refused to wear masks, it makes little difference. Plenty of others will just ignore it. In New York, plenty of people wearing, have been walking down the street wearing masks, even though the CDC guidelines say they don't have to do that. Businesses and government, as I have been saying, could re- continue to require them. Um, it's not an enforcement thing, President Biden said. We're not going to go out and arrest people. So the president and the CDC framed it as just one more incentive for people to become vaccinated. But at the same time, as The Atlantic points out, you can't escape the political ramifications here. So far, Biden's success has been measured mostly in numbers. The infection rate is falling. I mean, this is a dramatic drop in the number of uh, new COVID cases and COVID deaths. Unfortunately, I look at the paper every day and I still see several hundred people dying a day, but hopefully that will continue to come down. But removing masks, liberating people, as The Atlantic puts it, from wearing their masks, it's a more visible step. You get to see people smile. You get to see their whole face. One that Americans will feel physically as well as symbolically in their daily lives. It will also ease one of the most polarizing issues of the pandemic. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Jill Biden, the first lady, was out on a trip to West Virginia yesterday and she saw coverage on the plane and she came out and took off her mask and said, I feel naked. And she paused and she said, no, no, no. I don't mean in that way. All right. Let's move on now from COVID. Uh, The New York Times has an unbelievable and fairly complicated story about a kind of an internal sting operation during the Trump administration that just reminds you, reminds me at least as a journalist, why it was so challenging and interesting and absorbing to cover those four years. So I'll try to boil it down if I can, but one of the targets of an internal Trump administration sting was H.R. McMaster. He became the White House National Security Advisor after Michael Flynn had to quit over, you know, having lied to the FBI, which later led to that to his indictment, ultimately his pardon. In any event, a network of conservative activists aided by a former British spy, you got to love this story, just on the sheer um, entertainment value, mounted a campaign during the Trump administration to discredit perceived enemies of President Trump inside the government, according to documents and people involved in the operation. Uh, There was a planned sting operation against McMaster and secret surveillance operations against FBI employees aimed at exposing anti-Trump sentiment in the Bureau's ranks. Now, a lot of this didn't end up happening, but the mere plans for it are just eye-opening. Operations against the FBI were run by the conservative group Project Veritas, that's James O'Keefe's group, conducted from a large home in Georgetown 
that rented for $10,000 a month. Female undercover operations. This is where it gets really good, folks. Arranged dates with FBI employees with the aim of secretly recording them making disparaging comments about Trump. This is all like aimed at the deep state. And so the president of the United States, I don't know that he knew about it personally, but the, you know, people working with his administration had so little confidence in federal government employees. And undoubtedly there were some holdovers from the Obama administration who were not Trump fans or just were liberal and were not Trump fans. But um, this, was, this campaign, according to the Times, showed the obsession that some Trump allies had with this shadowy deep state trying to block or undermine his agenda. Now, here are some of the caveats in the piece. Whether any of Trump's White House advisors had direct knowledge of the campaign is unclear. Paper doesn't claim that Trump himself knew. One of the participants in the operation against McMaster, Barbara Ledeen, at the time she was working on Capitol Hill, said she was brought on by somebody with access to McMaster's calendar because they had to figure out where he was going to be. So, when it came to H.R. McMaster, there was a plan to hire a woman armed with a hidden camera, to capture him making inappropriate remarks that opponents could use as a way to get him out. Now, the reason I find this kind of like bizarre is that he serves at the pleasure of the president. Donald Trump could have fired him at any moment, and he didn't even have to give a reason. Ultimately, McMaster quit after uh, mounting tensions between him and the president, and so the thing was dropped. Uh, this, also says, this also says it's unclear whether Project Veritas operatives uh, knew, whether Project Veritas itself knew that it, some of its own people were involved in this. Uh, that was denied. Here's James O'Keefe saying, this was a smear piece because the New York Times is losing to Project Veritas in a court of law. This is an ongoing lawsuit. is trying to smear Project Veritas in the court of public opinion. Uh, now, how did this get started? At least as far as McMaster is concerned, uh, he went out to dinner with uh, several people at a uh, downtown D.C. restaurant. Not long afterwards, one of them, one of the woman who was at the dinner, uh, who's actually the chief executive of Oracle, called Don McGahn, now the White, who was then the White House counsel, to complain about McMaster's behavior, according to two sources. White House officials investigate, couldn't substantiate her claims. This was the, and this got reported in the press, the dinner where McMaster was reported to say that uh, Trump is an idiot and he has the intelligence of a kindergartner. So they were going to get this woman to have dinner with him and get him to talk and he secretly recorded all that. Anyway, none of this ended up happening. It's just kind of a throwback, throwback Friday, uh, to kind of the kind of stuff that went on or at least was planned during the Trump years. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Now, let's move to something current, and that is Matt Gates, the congressman who is being investigated by DOJ for possible sex trafficking of a minor. Well, here's the Washington Post piece saying that his former wingman, as uh, Congressman Gates used to call this guy, Joel Greenberg, he was the tax collect collector in Seminole County, Florida. Uh, it looks like he's about to plead guilty. There's a hearing it's scheduled in court for Monday for a change of plea hearing. So he pleaded not guilty. On Monday in federal court in Orlando, he's going to go in and apparently he's going to have a plea deal with the feds. He's going to plead guilty as part of that deal. His spokesman, Harlan Hill. So, so let, me get, let me set this up better. Um, 
if Joel Greenberg goes in and not only pleads guilty, but agrees to testify against his former ally and pal, Matt Gates, that, according to Common Sense, as well as this Washington Post story and others, uh, is not good news for Matt Gates. But his spokesman, Harlan Hill, uh, says, look, the charges against Greenberg stem from Greenberg fabricating accusations and evidence against a political opponent. The first indictment of Joel Greenberg, because he's been accused of this and, and I guess had pled before, alleges that he falsely accused another man of sex with a minor for his own gain. The man was apparently innocent. So is Congressman Gates, says his spokesman. Meantime, I've seen it reported that um, federal prosecutors, as part of this Gates investigation, have been talking to one of his ex-girlfriends who uh, might be willing to cooperate with the prosecution in exchange for immunity because she apparently did some things that could be said to be obstruction. Also, uh, the feds are said to be, by various media reports, um, talking to two other women who may or may not have had sex with Congressman Gates. Remember, it, it matters only if you are either under 18 uh, or cross state lines, or if you are somehow paid money by a member of Congress or by anybody, really, uh, to have sex. Um, and so the story continues to unfold. Look, Gates has been under investigation for some months. This started with the Trump Justice Department, and he hasn't been charged with anything. But obviously, if his pal from Florida is going to go in, plead, and have a deal with the prosecutors, that would be some reason for concern if you are Matt Gates. Um, let's talk a little bit about infrastructure. You know, they've been having President Biden had in. Uh, he talked to Shelley Moore Capito. She is a Republican senator who really seems to want to do a deal uh, with the Biden administration, not for $2 trillion, but it might be for as high as $800 billion or might be much less than that. So National Review has a piece opposing this, saying the Republicans shouldn't make any deal at all. Well, some are saying, look, it would be good for Biden to do some kind of, have some kind of display of bipartisanship and not just push everything through on a party line vote. The president himself has talked about this. National Review points out that Mitch McConnell has signaled he may be interested in a smaller infrastructure bill, one that would be limited uh, to roads, bridges, tunnels, airports, maybe broadband, around $800 billion. Uh, this is a mistake, says National Review. So this is um, the conservative magazine's take on this. Republicans should oppose Biden's proposal in its entirety. Why? Americans who oppose more federal spending are often asked, well, okay, what is your plan? But it is not incumbent upon fiscal conservatives to accept the premises of fiscal profligates. As if once a president has proposed spending a trillion dollars, the only question is whether the measure will actually be a trillion or a little less. Biden actually wants two trillion for his expanded version or definition of infrastructure and two trillion for this other bill, the American Family Plan. There is no need for more federal infrastructure spending, declares National Review. Republicans should say that. It is not a good idea to spend trillions of dollars during expansion. Republicans should say that. We should not borrow money or raise taxes in order to pay for more infrastructure spending. Republicans should say that. State and localities can better decide what they really need to build and pay for it. But some of this stuff is really, really expensive. Of course, National Review concedes there are infrastructure projects that would better from benefit from federal investment, but there's no reason for anyone to expect that such projects will be the strategic focus of any bill because political considerations and simply shoving money out the door 
inevitably take precedence. And that part is true. If you've got a trillion dollars to spend, 800 billion, two trillion, whatever it is, you've got to give it to every state because you're trying to get every member of Congress to vote for it. And then it becomes, you know, you can't just give it, let's say there's a, a, a bridge falling apart in Mississippi. Uh, that should take precedence. But then, you know, if you're a senator or congressman from Missouri or California or New York, whatever, you say, well, where's our fair share of this money? And it does a, a, a essentially become a bit of an entitlement program. Whether or not we need it is very much up to debate. Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, still uh, under investigation by the state attorney general, all those women claiming sexual harassment. He talked to reporters the other day, and he said something that I thought could kind of be seen as a moving of the goalposts. Harassment is not making someone feel uncomfortable, says the governor of New York. He was holding a news conference in the Bronx, and he was kind of sparring with a reporter who confronted him over the February statement, which he apologized for his past comments that made others feel in ways I never intended. That was what he said then. What's he saying now? Reporter says, this is recounted by the New York Post and others, do you acknowledge the fact that your intentions, according to the law, don't matter in sexual harassment? No, I never said I meant, I never meant to make anyone feel uncomfortable, Cuomo said. So there's more back and forth. And Cuomo says, you can leave this press conference today and said, oh, the governor harassed me. You can say that. I would never say, I would say, I never said anything that I believe was inappropriate. I never made to make you feel that way. But if people, the women who've testified, or not testified in a legal sense, but, you know, gone on TV, talked to newspaper reporters, said the governor did make them feel uncomfortable. And there are a couple who said he touched them, he kissed them. In one case, he allegedly groped them, which the governor denies. Um, then you can't just say, well, it's just talk, if you're asking them about their sex lives and things like that. So this sounds to me like laying the groundwork for saying that even if some women felt uncomfortable, the governor can then come out and claim vindication, but we'll see how that unfolds. A little bit about Ellen as we wrap up here on the podcast. Um, the Daily Beast is a pretty tough story. You know, as I mentioned yesterday, she's ending her talk show next season. She went on the Today Show. Uh, she also talked to Oprah on her own show. And she was pretty adamant that she hadn't done anything wrong, but this was very hurtful and this has destroyed her and all the talk of a toxic atmosphere. Well, the Beast says, look, 18 years ago, Ellen danced into TV history on the first episode of her talk show. Now she's sulking on, their way, on her way out. The dancing this time seems to be happening on the show's grave. Uh, the Generous uh, cited similar talking points in both of those conversations. Each time the allegations about her behavior were brought up, there was incredibly off-putting flippancy in DeGeneres' responses. She kept referring to stories from low-level employees, not looking at her in the eye. So basically, the Daily Beast is saying she's been tone deaf. Here's another bit of criticism from Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire, saying conservatives should at least pause and ask why so many in Hollywood are happy to see Ellen go before joining the na-na-na-na-hey-hey-goodbye chorus. Um, the most serious charges against DeGeneres involve not her own actions, but those of her senior executives. In fact, there were three people after uh, Warner Media conducted an investigation who were let go. There's no evidence that DeGeneres knew of these episodes or witnessed any harassment herself. So if she's kind of being pushed out over these allegations, the Daily Wire is asking, is that really fair? Because anybody can say, hey, it's a toxic environment, and there should be a level of evidence required to prove that. Now, it might be just be possible that Ellen's just kind of had enough 
after the past 18 seasons. Certainly, she's not making any bones about the fact that she used the word destroyed. She felt destroyed by all these allegations. And I guess it wasn't fun for her anymore. And maybe she is putting a good face on this by getting out. Um, but not everybody is applauding her. Hey, one last item here on Prince Harry. He went on uh, this other guy's podcast and he started to talk about his life as a member of the royal family. A mix between The Truman Show, you know that 1998 film, and um, being in a zoo. Uh, Harry said that he first thought about leaving his duties when he was in his early 20s. He was told to grin and bear it uh, and get on with it. I don't want this job. I don't want to be here. He's recounting how he felt. I don't want to be doing this. Look at what it did to my mom. A reference, of course, to the tragic death of Princess Diana. How am I ever going to settle down and have a wife and family when I know it's going to happen again? Because I know I've seen behind this curtain. I've seen the business model. I know how this operation runs and how it works. I don't want to be part of this. The biggest issue for me was that being born into it, you inherit the risk. You inherit the risk that comes with it. You inherit every element of it without choice. I think it's a really dangerous place to be if you don't have a choice. But he then went on to say it was only after uh, Meghan Markle encouraged him to go to therapy and address his long-held feelings that he decided with his wife to get out. Now, I got to say, on the one hand, Harry's being really candid here. On the other hand, it does sound a little whiny. Being a member of the royal family is not all that awful. You get the really nice housing that goes with it. You get to be to travel the world as an ambassador for the queen. Um, you um, are, are world, or you're famous worldwide. I can understand, uh, especially after he got married, you know, the complaints that he had. But it's just not that awful. I mean, and, and he acknowledges himself that people will rightly say, well, you had all these privileges. Yeah, he did. I guess, look, he's got, he's got this deal with Spotify, I think with Netflix. He's, he's got to be interesting. He's got to be relevant. What does he have to merchandise? He goes out and talks about how rough his life is as a member of the royal family. And one last point, he went off on Joe Rogan, the podcaster, saying people are spreading misinformation about the virus, about the vaccines. And he beats up on Joe Rogan. Well, Joe Rogan did uh, just say that, in his opinion, people who are healthy in their early 20s shouldn't get the vaccine. And what did he do the next day? He came on and he said, I take it back, I'm an effing moron. I'm just a guy with a podcast. I don't research these things. Having known that, I think it's silly for Prince Harry to picking on Joe Rogan, but what he's trying to do is get some clickbait headlines so he can establish himself as a celebrity in America. So I kind of mixed feelings about that. Maybe you have other feelings, but our primary feeling right now is, I hope everybody has a good weekend, and if you're vaccinated, you, you know, you got to, I guess, follow your local rules in your state or your city or your county. But I think more and more people are going to follow the CDC guidelines. If President Biden and Vice President Harris went out and took off their masks, and we could see them actually smiling at each other, probably if you've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, waited 14 days, it's probably okay for you too. And I hope it's an incentive for other people to now get these vaccines. Check out Media Buzz Sunday morning, 11 Eastern on Fox. We're back here Monday with more, even more, Buzz Media. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.